Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. You know, both Brown and Carpenter not really live up to any sort of expectations or, you know, relative their, to their contracts. That was very disappointing. Um, I do always understand signing an offensive lineman whose name is Spanish for ham. Welcome to another episode of the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am David Walker, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, the one and only Gina Matt Online Thomas. Gina, how are you doing? I'm doing great, David. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. For those who may be wondering, yes, we are scratching the nicknames in 2020. It's a new year. It's a new decade. Time for a little bit of simplicity. So we're going to Clean things up here on the Falcoholic. Well, we no. that shit. <laughs> uh, we won't cl- clean things up that much. Uh, yeah. Joining us today is the man who started it all. The the man, the myth, the legend, the Falcoholic himself, Dave Frostbite Choate. Dave, how are you doing? I'm cold. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think for Falcons fans who are tuning in, uh, obviously we have reached the end of the season. Um, you know, we've, we're going to look at what this Falcons team gave us in 2019. Uh, we're going to look at the offense uh, for this podcast. We're going to come back for another podcast and revisit uh, special teams in the defense. But today we're going to focus on the side of the ball that arguably has had the most money spent on it. If you look at uh, some of the big contracts, free agents, um, and that is the offense. So this was the first year under uh, returning offensive coordinator, Dirk Cutter, whose first tenure in Atlanta was 2012 uh, through 2014, if I remember right. Um, He served under Mike Smith uh, towards the tail end of that regime. Of course, 2012 was uh, when the Falcons did go to NFC Championship game under his offense. Uh, he was fired as head coach uh, by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, after the 2018 season. He was here for 2019, uh, and he replaced uh, Steve Sarkeesian, who was our offensive coordinator for two years, um, followed up uh, Kyle Shanahan after the 2016 season. Uh, and I think this is where the conversation should start. Gina, uh, it feels like going into the season, we were led to believe or you know, maybe we misunderstood. I don't know. Uh, part of what we're going to talk about, we were led to believe that uh, the offense was going to maintain a lot of the things that they had uh, picked up under Shanahan and continue to do under Sarkeesian. 
uh, mm-hmm. you know, West Coast principles, wide zone blocking scheme. And yet it feels like in 2019, the Falcons all but moved away from that. So do you feel like it was something where Cutter maybe planned to try to do it, wasn't comfortable with it? The team just was did, had no plans to do it to begin with? Or did we misunderstand that? What happened with sort of that offensive shift where we moved away from what had been successful for the past several years? I don't think that we misunderstood it. I think that maybe another element that could have been a play here was a little bit of gamesmanship because the Falcons, you know, obviously had been really successful with the zone blocking scheme, um, especially under Shanahan. And so I think that it could be that the Falcons were like, oh, yeah, Dirk's coming in. We're keeping everything the same, guys. And then Dirk's like, no, I'm going to be really innovative and switch it up. And then the problem with that is that Dirk Cutter is not at all innovative in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> and then it didn't work out as planned. I, that, I, like, that may be, like, you know, a kind of a conspiracy theory, but that's what I think happens. I mean, I think that they were trying to not be like, yeah, we're going to switch it up to a classic Cutter offense. They're like, no, we're keeping it the same. Then Cutter's like, no, we're not. Nobody <laughs> will be able to stop it. They're not going to see it coming. And then everyone's like, oh, my God, Dirk, this is the same shitty offense you've been running for years. Of yeah. course, everybody is ready for this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's Dave, not with this that, team. <laughs> um, Dave, uh, the play action uh, under Shanahan, even under um, Sarkeesian, uh, the Falcons in those years were at the very top of the league in play action percentage. Uh, you saw under, you know, uh, Sarkeesian and Shanahan, a lot of pre-snap movement, uh, which uh, is was one of the things that uh, I think, you know, fans enjoyed the most was seeing the, the offense sort of shift right before uh, the play came up. And, and arguably the Falcons completely abandoned those principles. They were actually uh, this year, one of the teams that used play action the least in the league. Um, so what do you think contributed to this? Was it just dirt cutter? Do you think maybe Matt Ryan and some of the players had some say in this, uh, or do you think it was just a factor of cutter not being comfortable with those principles from a coaching perspective? I think it's, I think it's dirt cutter at the end of the day. Right. Um, you know, you don't see that kind of major shift, um, under a new offensive coordinator without pinning it, I think primarily on the offensive coordinator. I mean, it's possible that, you know, Matt Schaub marched into his office because Matt Schaub, you know, what he says goes in this organization and said, I want no more play action. And Dirk Cutter, you know, hid under his desk and was terrified and said, yes, sir, please. <laughs> um, I guess that's possible. But I, I think really what we're talking about here is a Dirk Cutter decision. And I think that the, the problem for me with, that is it spoke to the predictability of the mm-hmm. offense more than anything else. You look at Devonta Freeman, um, you know, he's out there and he is uh, running on first and 10, like 66% of his carries. Um, yeah. You always know that's coming. And most of the time it was up the middle. Like it was a running gag um, for me on Twitter on game days, but it was also true that that's what was coming. And so, you know, removing that pre-snap motion, um, using play action less, really kind of sticking to a particularly stubborn script until it worked. Um, you know, that was all kind of the hallmark of the Dirk Cutter, Cutter, 
uh, Cutter era Cutter. in Atlanta the last time too. Um, but the, the league was a little bit different then, so it worked a little bit better. I think this time around, he's going to have to evolve because um, mm-hmm. we can't, you know, we, we can't watch this offense do this again next year um, or I will cry. <laughs> and that, go ahead, Gina. I was going to say, you know, one way to avoid that would be to not bring back all the archetypes, <laughs> but I digress. Well, Dina, oh. that's a little outlandish, if you ask me. So. <laughs> uh, Dave, you made a point that um, I made a, on Twitter earlier this week to someone who was uh, asking me, why are you so critical of Dirk Cutter? He took us to the NFC Championship game back in 2012, uh, and it was what you just said exactly. He's trying to run the offense that he ran in 2012, and uh, it's seven years later, which is an eternity in NFL years. Offenses evolve. Uh, and change very quickly uh, in this league. And uh, what we're seeing now is sort of a relic offense, something that hasn't been relevant for nearly a decade. And uh, to me, that's one of the most damning things uh, for Cutter. So uh, I feel like we all have the same opinion of uh, Dirk. He is coming back, uh, as many of you know, in uh, 2020. Uh, so we will see if he can evolve this year. Uh, we're, we're certainly hoping that he can, but history is is not a, a good indicator of that happening so before but we dive yep i will i will say that ty Sembrello touchdown pass that <laughs> is obviously the sign of things to come we're getting offensive lineman touchdowns all year next year that's i i am so looking forward to that <laughs> and that that serves as a perfect segue because before we dive into the skill positions we're going to look at the one area that the team desperately tried to fix uh, between 2018 and 2019, and that's the offensive line. Uh, Matt Ryan in, in 2018 um, took a lot of hits uh, behind a patchwork offensive line. They, you know, they had Tyson Breo at, at right tackle for a good bit of the year, Ryan Schrader, who ended up retiring after the season. Uh, Guys like Ben Garland, uh, Wes Schweitzer playing a lot of, uh, you know, starting guard. And that was a problem. And of course, this offseason, they spent uh, a lot of money, both in uh, draft capital and in free agency uh, to try to fix this offensive line. So uh, let's start with those free agents. And Dave, I'll start with you here first. Uh, we brought in two big names in particular, uh, James Carpenter and Jamon Brown. Jamon Brown, I think, is you know someone that a little bit younger that maybe I think they were hoping would be uh, someone that could plug in and be a long term starter uh, that they would keep for you know four or five years. Carpenter always felt like he was maybe more of a a, a two year rental, you know, just in case a rookie needed some time to to adjust, he could step in and start in a pinch. Uh, regardless, they put they spent some money on both these guys to bring them in. Uh, we're sort of stuck with them for the most part into twenty twenty. Uh, what is your impression of what happened with uh, these two free agents? Were you happy with them? Were you happy with the moves? Uh, what was their season like in your opinion? Well, it wasn't great. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I look at <laughs> these two signings and, you know, I like the Brown signing. Um, I'm, I'm disappointed, obviously, with the way his season went. I'm disappointed that he got benched. Um certainly before Carpenter as well, um, for reasons I'll get into. So, you know, a little bit of egg on my face maybe for that one. But I guess the issue for me was, you know, the Falcons kind of went out and, and spent a 
a decent chunk of change on two guys who were stopgaps. And we, we kind of acknowledged that up front. They were stopgaps. But the thinking was clearly Derek Cutter wants to do something a little different. We're going to get a couple of beefier guards in here and, you know, stabilize the position for a year or two while they bring along, you know, whoever they end up drafting. Um, and then obviously they went in a very different direction with the draft which kind of made at least one of those guys redundant, which was surprising. It felt like they didn't plan ahead effectively enough. Um, and then you get into the season itself, and I did not think for most of the year that either Brown or Carpenter um, played all that well um, at all. And then, you know, at the end of the day, I think the idea behind getting these guys too was, well, Wes Schweitzer isn't going to have to play anymore, which is <laughs> what they tried to do the previous year too and just like the previous year we got 60 percent of offensive snaps going to west schweitzer which is more than brown or carpenter played the entire yeah. year so and, it, those, and those was, two signings yeah all in all with everything going on we're just kind of a disaster i feel like now they don't have an easy way to get out of either one and get much immediate cap relief so uh just not great moves gina I agree with that. Um, you know, I do want to give a couple of caveats here. One, Carpenter did have a lot of significant injuries this year. And so That's I true. think that that probably did hold him back, which I mean, still, it's something that you have to, I think, anticipate if you're signing a high price free agent. I'm just saying I don't really blame Carpenter in the same way that I do blame the front office for making that decision and for handling the OL the way they did across this offseason. Um, Brown, I do just want to give a quick anecdote to kind of show something that he did bring to the team this year that definitely doesn't show up on, um, you know, on, on his personal stat sheet, uh, so to speak. But he spent a lot of time in the locker room and I wasn't in there a ton this year, maybe, you know, like 10 times. But he spent a lot of time like co coaching up the young guys during the open media sessions and like talking them through technique. And even after he got benched, he was doing that. And he was very like earnest and sincere about it. And watching him do that, I was like, I mean, that's actually something that could help this team long term. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think that. Those were just two things. Like, I don't think that those guys were a complete waste, uh, is what I'm saying. But I, I did question the signings at the time, especially around the draft when they took two guys in the first round. I was like, what the heck? And then to have, you know, both Brown and Carpenter not really live up to any sort of expectations or, you know, relative their, to their contracts. That was very disappointing. Um, I do always understand signing an offensive lineman whose name is Spanish for ham, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> ask some questions. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh uh, yeah, I've got to get my. <laughs> okay. Oh, I completely forgot about that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me compose myself here. Oh, mercy, Gina. Thanks a lot. Oh, gracious. So on the note of the young guys, you, you both mentioned it earlier. Uh, you know, the we brought in Carpenter and, and Brown and just a few weeks later spent two first round picks on offensive linemen, which I think stunned almost every Falcons fan, um, especially 
when you consider, you know, we, we definitely had needs on the defensive line. Uh, the first pick, Chris Lindstrom, uh, didn't play most of the season. Uh, Caleb McGarry, you know, had the, the heart scare at the beginning uh, of training camp. He did end up playing most of the season at right tackle. And I'm going to throw a third name in into this bucket that I want to talk about, and that's Matt Gono, because uh, we heard a lot about him in the preseason. As a matter of fact, he was probably going to start at right tackle uh, with uh, McGarry out and Sombreo, I believe, uh, was still suffering, you know, coming back from injury. And then Gono got injured, and he was unable to uh, actually uh, start that first game. So let's talk about these three young players, our impressions of them, for the the 2019 season, whether or not we like the picks, whether or not we think uh, these are going to be good players uh, going forward. So, Gino, I want to start with you first. Chris Lindstrom, McGarry, uh, and Matt Gono is is sort of a tag-along on that young guys list for the offensive line. What's your take? How do you see this playing out? Well, um, I do just want to hearken back to draft day where I literally had a full-blown temper tantrum about these two (laughs) (laughs) And I am here to say that I was wrong. Um, Lindstrom, obviously, like you said, David missed a chunk of the year. But when he did play, he shows flashes of of having great consistency, that kind of consistency that you really need on the interior to go up against guys like Aaron Donald. Um, And so uh, McGarry, too, I know that 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 offseason, the preseason time that he missed, that was really crucial to his development. I think that that probably contributed to him having a pretty up and down year. And also he dealt with some injuries here and there too, like you mentioned. But um, I thought that he showed flashes too of having that kind of Harvey Dahl attitude that the Falcons really need along that offensive line. And um, Gono, 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 how do you say his name? Is it Gano? It may be Gano. I'm not sure. Um, I'm just going to call him Matt. There is <laughs> too many Matts. There are not any other Matts on the Falcons. It's fine. <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> I'm talking about so Matt. <laughs> yeah, I can say Matt, the offensive lineman. I think that that's enough. Um, yes. He, I, you know, again, I think injuries slowed him down. He really showed in preseason a lot of potential, but when he was forced into action. Later in the season, I thought that he held his own for the most part. I mean, there were so many injuries and so many shakeups along this line. They never had a chance to develop any consistency or, as Thomas Dimitrov likes to say, and use in his hair, gel. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've had a very long day. I <laughs> Zing burn. Um <laughs> Those are my thoughts. It was kind of random, but I no. I'm proud of that one. I'm proud of that one. Dads everywhere are proud of that one. <laughs> oh, Dave, your thoughts on these three young players? Yeah, I, I think, you know, in a vacuum, Lindstrom and McGarry are great picks. You obviously moved on from Ryan Trader in the offseason, and you haven't had youth and stability at the guard position um, for a while. Um, so both of those picks were great. I think, you know, hearkening back to the free agent discussion, if they hadn't signed Brown and Carpenter or either of them, um, I think the Lindstrom pick really stands out. I think that given the way they approached the rest of their offseason, again, it was kind of like just piling resources on and seeing what stuck. 
But Lindstrom, I think, is going to be a very good pro for a long time, so long as he can stay healthy. And McGarry, I think, showed enough this year to think that he's at least going to be a solid right tackle. Um, obviously, given that they traded up for him in the first round, you hope he's more than just solid, but even that would be a good start for the moment. So those are both, I think, defensible picks, good players, hopefully now and in the future. Um, I have no idea what happened with Gono. Um, I think that this team has a little bit of an aversion to playing certain guys, but they do like to hype them up during the summer and say, man, this guy's having a great summer. You know, he could be a starter in this league for a long time and do 60 snaps yeah. for the 2019 season. Um, so, I, you know, I don't know if they were just falling victim to, you know, feeling obligated to play Brown and Carpenter. Um, if they, if they felt, you know, it was best to stick with McGarry through his early struggles and so forth. So they just didn't feel like there was a spot for him, but I was disappointed that, you know, given that this is a, a young, capable player by all indications, that he couldn't get more run this year with the offensive line problems this team had. I think that's kind of an indicator of larger problems with properly evaluating mm-hmm. and rolling out these guys that, that I think kind of feeds into the whole discussion about what is this coaching staff still doing here in its current form. But um, for all that, I think all three guys are good. Um, all three will be back next year. If Gono actually gets a chance to push for a starting job and, and happens to get it, and you've got, you know, Lindstrom, Gono, McGarry, Mack, and, and Matthews as your starting lineman next year, that's kind of an ideal scenario. Um, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen, but it could happen. Um, so it, it's nice to have some young guys with real upside instead of, you know, we're trading for this guy here, we're signing this veteran and squeezing one to two more years out of him. We drafted Wes Schweitzer, and we can't bury him because he is a cursed object. You know that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, he continues to survive. Uh, for Gono's credit, I'm looking at the PFF scores for the 2019 season. He scored better uh, than Wes Schweitzer, than Tyson Breo, than Jamon Brown, and the James Carpenter, who who was our worst rated offensive lineman. So I do think uh, I questioned all year why he wasn't getting some more looks, especially when the play at guard was consistently terrible for a good bit of the season until Lindstrom came back. Uh, and even after Lindstrom came back, I, I wonder why Gono didn't get more shots at left guard um, where Wes Schweitzer apparently is, is a fixture and we still don't know why. Um, so it, it, I was a little surprised that he didn't get more play like the two of you. I think Lindstrom and McGarry are going to work out great for long term. Uh, you know, I think the health issues with Lindstrom aren't going to be a big issue because it was more of a freak injury than anything. Um, so, yeah, I, I think long term, this is going to be a good duo. Uh, it, it still feels weird, like you said, uh, against the backdrop of Carpenter and Brown. So, I, I, you know, for those who are uh, not fans of Thomas Dimitrov, to me, this is a move you point to and say, uh, this doesn't make a lot of sense. So to close out the discussion on the offensive line, I just want to talk about two last players because, uh, you know, these guys sort of either get overlooked or over-criticized, and that's Jake Matthews at left tackle and uh, Alex Mack, uh, one of the the best centers in the league over the past decade. Uh, So, Dave, I'll start with you here first. I feel like, uh, you know, Jake Matthews, uh, we were talking about this earlier today, as a matter of fact, gets a ton of heat from fans. And to this day, I – Still don't understand it. I don't understand it, especially for fans 
who have seen Sam Baker play, who have seen Lamar Holmes play, uh, there is clearly uh, some sort of disconnect with Jake Matthews and, and uh, Falcons fans. And then Alex Mack, who I think, you know, may have played through some injuries and arguably have had, you know, a down season for him, uh, especially when you consider sort of the level of play that he is used to. So give me your thoughts on these two veterans and, and what they did in 2019. Yeah, um, so I would start with, with Matthews and just say, you know, I thought early on in the year he was definitely struggling. And, and you do see he is, you know, not like, uh, you know, I'm trying to grab off the top of my head a truly legendary tackle. But, you know, those guys, Jason, Jason Peters. Peters, let's say, you know, Jason Peters had bad games. Sure. He did not, you know, consistently struggle against certain pass rushers over and over again. I feel like necessarily in the way that Jake does. I think he is going to have a couple of duds per season when he just meets a guy who's a little too slippery for him. Um, but that mm-hmm. said, you know, on balance, another very good year, uh, extremely durable year, led the league in snaps, you know, which is not a small accomplishment. Availability is an ability. And he played at a high level most of the year. So I think that Matthews continues to be like Desmond Trufant someone who consistently plays well and is yeah. chronically underrated by the fan base. I think he's a good player. He's the one guy that you know what you have in him. You've got him locked up for the long term. He's a no-brainer starter. It's great. Um, so we should not take that for granted. Um, Mac is is much the same way, but his contract, I think he's going to make things interesting this offseason. On one hand, it's absolutely mm-hmm. insane to even think about moving on from Alex Mack. Given that, you know, this offensive line has had so many problems over the years. But on the other hand, you save $8 million um, in a cap strap season by cutting ties with Alex Mack. And you have seen slow but steady slippage in his play each of the last two years. Um, certainly not winning every matchup that he used to. And that's only going to continue to get worse over time. Um, you know, if that little bit of uh you know slip each year is is minor which it has been to this point um then you can continue to trot him out there until his contract is up and even longer um but i also do think that if you can get your center of the future this year and you feel like the other four positions on the line are pretty stable that's money you can really use and you don't know you know necessarily if this next year is going to be the year where that play falls off a little bit more significantly and noticeably so I think they have a tough decision ahead with Mac, but again this year, you know, especially where there were so many lineup changes, so much unreliability, a lot of growing pains for young players. Um, he turned in another great season. He was right behind Matthews in terms of snaps played. He was a great player as he always is. So mm-hmm. it, it would be a shame to lose him, but I do think, you know, coming into next year, he's going to be one of the guys I'll be watching most closely to see what the team does with him. Yeah. Uh, Gina, your, your thoughts on these two players? Um, you know, I, I agree with everything that Dave said. Uh, Jake did kind of stun me sometimes this year with really undisciplined play. Max certainly seemed to have taken a step back. The one thing that I keep coming back to is just the instability across the entire line this year because of injuries. They never had a chance to settle in. And if you think about how good Alex Mack looked and I Alex Mack also has been hurt this year and was yes. 
through that. I can't remember if it was a tricep or if it was. I think it was elbow. I think it was elbow, elbow injury. I knew that it was on the arm somewhere. It was close enough. Um, but yeah, so I think playing through that, that makes it very difficult to be to have violent hands like you need to along the offensive line. And so it's going to diminish your effectiveness. And then just all of the transition around him from injuries, from people getting benched, all that kind of stuff. They never really had a chance to settle into a rhythm and be comfortable functioning as one unit. And so I really think for both of the veterans, I think that that was at least a substantial reason, maybe not the only reason, but a substantial one for their diminished level of play. Yeah, uh, I agree with both of you. And uh, I think where Mac is concerned, uh, the injury probably did play a big factor in that because the second half of the season, he actually rebounded pretty strongly and had uh, a really strong finish to the season. Uh, on that note, uh, Jake Matthews was our second highest graded player in uh, on PFF this year behind Julio Jones. And Alex Mack was uh, number six, and they were clearly our two best offensive linemen. So, Wow. Yep. I'm actually really impressed by that. Yeah. So I, I think, you know, for those who uh, are all over Jake Matthews, I, I, like I said, I, I don't get it, but uh, we're going to leave that part of the conversation there. Uh, let's talk now about the guy that these guys are protecting. And uh, that's the 34-year-old quarterback. He's going to be 35 in 2020. Can you believe that? Um, and that is, of course, Matt Ryan. Uh, he has broken several records this year. He moved into the top 10 uh, all-time in passing yards. Uh, he broke the 50,000-yard mark. Uh, he continues to take down the quickest uh, to get to X number of yards in NFL history. He he now owns several of those records. Uh, he is, you know, marching towards arguably a Hall of Fame uh, career at this point. So Matt Ryan actually took a step back statistically this year compared to where he was in 2018. Now, in fairness, in 2018, he had a season that rivaled his 2016 MVP season, which uh I think you know a lot of people forget, given the record that the team had. But this year, he had a passing completion percentage of 66.2%, uh, 44-66 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, which I think is you know what has grabbed a lot of attention, uh, and then the 92.1 passer rating. So it was still a good season. Um, it was actually statistically slightly better than the 2017 season he had, his first under... Uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Uh, so, Gene, I'll go to you with this first. Uh, do you feel like uh, this was an up season, a down season, a mess season for Matt Ryan? How do you see his 2019 year going? It was actually a mess season from him. I was like, you know, for the, I am kind of interested in the fact that it was slightly better than 2017. Um, just because I feel like I yelled, you know, what the hell was that? A lot right. Year, but maybe that's just recency bias. One thing that I would like to point out is that it is kind of hilarious to me after covering the league as a whole and having to write about quarterbacks like Sam Bradford and, um, oh my gosh, so many of them, Jay Cutler and, oh my gosh. <laughs> I mean, like, there are a lot of these guys that I had to write about. And then I see Falcons fans saying, Matt Ryan's the problem. He's got to go. And I'm like, 
He has a 66.2 completion percentage. Like, are you familiar with the Browns quarterback since 1999? Because, (laughs) you know, he still threw for almost 4,500 yards, and this is a down season for him. Yeah. Six touchdowns. And the 14 interceptions were a problem. Um, Mm -hmm. But, and obviously, it's a lower quarterback rating than he typically has but i mean if you're still if you're throwing for 40 466 yards and 26 touchdowns in a down year you're a franchise quarterback and anybody yeah. can agree with that needs to honestly just stop watching football you don't know what you're talking about <laughs> thank you exactly <laughs> uh dave your thoughts on matt ryan his 2018 season well we finally got to see what matt Schaub can do and it's time to make the change. Oh, I think. No. So, um, you know, Matt Ryan did not have his best year. <clears throat> I think if we're being totally honest with ourselves, um, mm-hmm. you know, a fine year. I, I think to me, there were no real signs that his, his skills are eroding, you know, not a step slower. He's, you know, his arm hasn't suddenly fallen off or anything like that, but he certainly made some some poor decisions that came back to haunt him. And I, I think he certainly had his issues this year. I, I think yeah. we do have to say, you know, no quarterback is awesome when there's too much going on around them. And I think that, you know, we're seeing, you know, a little bit of that with Matt Ryan this year. I think Sanu, who was one of his favorite targets, was traded. Um, near midseason, he took an absolute beating behind that line. He definitely got hurt this year to the point where he couldn't play in one game. Uh, you know, breaking in young receivers, the offensive line was a mess. Dirk Cutter was doing some different things on offense. So, you know, that probably sounds like a whole bucket of excuses, but, you know, I thought Ryan played pretty well in spite of all that. Um, and I think that, you know, there's no reason to believe that with a healthier supporting cast, knock on what a better line next year that he won't go back to looking more like he did in 2016 or 2018 or even 2017 in between all the silly interceptions and so forth um, because he's a very good quarterback and, and he's a guy who because of his skill set is going to age gracefully so you know I, a little bit of a down year from Ryan a little bit of a, a, a disappointing year for the whole team the whole offense and he was part of that but nothing where I'm saying you know he's a bum or he's regressing or doomed anything like that i think he's going to be just fine and you know like gina said anytime you have the numbers he put up this year um you know maybe minus the interceptions and that's that's sort of a down year that's your cue to move on we really have gotten very spoiled um by the level of quarterback play over the last decade or so yeah and uh to the point you made he had uh 48 sacks this year, which was, I believe, the highest uh, he's ever had uh, in in the Falcons uniform. So uh, definitely a factor. Uh, I think one of the things that stood out to me is early in the season, uh, you know, we, we've gotten used to Ryan sort of being the bounce back quarterback where he will have a bad game and then he'll immediately follow that up with a, a much better performance. And I think for the first time in a while, the first four games of the season were like really not good for Ryan. And uh, I kept waiting for that bounce back game to happen. And it, it didn't happen until like the, you know, fifth game or so. Cause even the win against the Eagles, uh, you know, he had several 
really, really bad throws in that game. So for me, uh, it was one of his, you know, worst years in in recent memory. Um, And and again, that's for a very high bar that he has set. So I feel like we, we, we do have to caveat that he was not a Jay Cutler. (laughs) Uh, We, he still won us more games than, than he lost for us. Um, but I don't, I think you, we have to be able to have a little bit of nuance when we talk about players. It can't be, oh, Matt Ryan had a bad year. He's a bum. He's the worst in the league. Let's cut him. Like the, it, things aren't that binary. He, you know, he's a very, very good quarterback. He had a down year for what we expect from him. I think as well as what you said, Dave, that he'll bounce back. I think 2020 is going to be a much better season for him. Uh, so, you know, let's try to find some nuance, folks. It, it doesn't have to be, oh, he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, oh, he's the worst ever. Like there's, there is a lot of in between there. So before we get into the rest of the skill position players, the wide receivers, tight ends, running backs, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is advertiser content brought to you by Frito-Lay. Hello, I'm Chip Murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament. Tonight we'll break down. We break down who will be cutting cut. What are you two doing? Sorry, Chip. Prez here got his feathers ruffled when I told him Ruffles has zero chance of winning the title. And I was letting Dip know that she is not taking into account Ruffles' iconic ridges. Guys, it's March. We have to start talking about the tournament. We are. It is the 2023 Frito-Lay Snack-It. We're talking about big-time matchups between Cheetos, Smart Food, Lay's, Sun Chips, and more. Just head to the Frito-Lay Snack Bracket and vote for your favorite chip, pretzel, or dip for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. This sounds great. Keep up the good work. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends 4-3-2023. Void where prohibitive. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And we're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is David Walker, joined as always with my co-host, Gina Madeline-Thomas. And we've got, of course, the Falcoholic himself, Dave uh, Frostbite Choate. <laughs> I've given him... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he didn't ask for that nickname. He's just getting it. Um, and we're going to talk about the Falcons offense of 2019. Uh, we've already talked about the offensive line. We've talked about the coaching. We've talked about Matt Ryan. Let's talk about now some of the guys surrounding him. So the wide receivers, I want to start there. Uh, Dave, before we went into the half, you mentioned the trade of Mohamed Sanu. Um, he you know, played just seven games for Falcons. He had 313 yards, one touchdown. Uh, obviously, he was a, a trusted target for Matt Ryan. Uh, Julio Jones, uh, for the first time in several years, did not eclipse 1,400 yards. He had 1,394 uh, on the season and six touchdowns. Um, Calvin Ridley, uh, who missed a few games at the end of the season, finished the year with 866 yards and seven touchdowns. He continues to be uh, sort of a touchdown machine at wide receiver. Uh, and then Russell Gage, who I think is the interesting story here because – in my opinion, it was his emergence that made the Falcons comfortable with moving on from Sanu. He ended up with 446 yards and a touchdown, which actually I was when I looked that up, I was like, oh, wow, that's that's more than I thought he would have. Um, and then, you know, we had some other guys like Christian Blake, uh, Lamade Zacchaeus, you know, two young guys. And then Justin Hardy uh, sort of disappeared, uh, you know, for most of the season. So, Gina, I want to start with you here first. The, this wide receiving core. Touch on each of these names and, and what you think of the overall season that they had. 
Okay, so um, Julio Jones uh, is superhuman, and I as always. I was sorry that he didn't quite get to fourteen hundred yards, and as always, I would like to see him score more touchdowns. But I mean, that is a very respectable season. Calvin Ridley, um, obviously, season cut short by injury. I think that he had, you know little more inconsistency in some games than we would like to see but overall 866 yards seven touchdowns i think that's spectacular sanu i miss him um the next time i have a drink i'll pour some out for him uh (laughs) he is with a patriots team that does not look like it can win a ring so i don't know that this move is really going to pay off for him but um so that's sanu but when he was here, you know, I thought that he was a very reliable receiver for Ryan, as usual. Gage, I liked his emergence. Um, I I have enjoyed seeing him get a little bit more involved, especially since Ridley's been injured and Sanu moved on. Um, you know, Hardy had a couple of decent plays this year. I think that he's still more of, you know, he's he is not a huge factor in the passing. Yeah. Often, I, I don't expect that to change at this point. And then um, Blake and Zacchaeus, I was genuinely impressed with. I thought that those guys really flashed late in the season when they were pressed into action. So yep. I'm excited about this group. I think they put together a nice little wide receivers group. Yeah. Uh, Dave, your thoughts on uh, these receivers and, and what they offered in 2019? Yeah, I think, you know, I won't spend a lot of time on Julio and Ridley because. You know, Julio <clears throat> had to lift even more this year. The fact that his production maybe didn't look as good on paper, I think, belies the fact that uh, for a significant chunk of the year, he was working without a lot of compelling options opposite him. So another great year for him. Ridley, you know, hoping he's fully healthy and ready to go. He's obviously a great player already. So, you know, those two spots are taken care of now and in the future. I think beyond that, it gets interesting in a hurry, and I do wonder if the team is going to be looking at drafting a wide receiver. Um, just because of the way they used Gage, um, I like him a lot, I think, aside from randomly trying to vault over guys that he has no business trying to jump over, which he did more than once this year. Stop um, jumping. <laughs> stop jumping. Please stop jumping. Um He's he did really well. I, I think he's super reliable um, for those those passes over the middle. He's not afraid of contact at all. Put some nice moves on guys. His route running and his hands, I thought were were much improved from a year ago. So he's clearly earned a role. But I, I think the Falcons used him very sparingly downfield, which is funny because mm-hmm. he is fast. Um, and so that to me suggests that Dirk Cutter doesn't think that he can do that job or doesn't want to use him in that way. Maybe that changes next year, but I think that Gage will probably end up being the fourth receiver behind a new addition because of that. That's just my guess. Um, Blake is a guy that th- this team talked up a lot and, and, you know, first year, you know, he had that great game against the Saints. So I, I don't want to sound too down on his prospects um, because he certainly could come back next year and, earn the fifth job or even push hard for the third job. Um, but, you know, I think the striking thing to me was he played something like 75% of the offensive snaps in those last three games. He was targeted three times and he had zero catches. Um, and he was really out there a lot. Wow. Um, and so, you know, the accomplishment there 
it wasn't really there, right? He wasn't being targeted. And whether that was a, a conscious choice by Dirk Cutter to just kind of have him running out there and being a decoy, or whether he just wasn't getting open, which seems kind of likely given how long Matt Ryan had to hold the ball a couple times those last three weeks. He's a, he's clearly got some work to do to take that step forward to be the kind of guy that the Falcons think he can be. Not suggesting he won't get there, but he's got some work to do. And then, you know, Zacchaeus, um, is a guy that I think is, is a fire plug, a really interesting player. I'd love to see the Falcons kind of keep him as their last receiver slash maybe somebody that they try on special teams and even out of the backfield, especially if they don't keep Barner at that position. But, um, you know, I, I don't know again how significant a role he'll get, but they liked him enough to keep him around all year. He had that amazing touchdown, which was maybe the play of the year. So I think he deserves a longer look. And I think if you look at this group, plus Devin Gray and Brandon Powell, who are both kind of interesting and are signed to a reserve future contract, they have a ton of bodies at this position. I, I think that the real question going into the offseason is just, do they feel like Gage is that third guy or can be that third guy, or do they feel like they need to go get someone else and then they've got their four through six set? Either way, they're in a pretty good spot, but I suspect they're going to go ahead and draft somebody uh, to be right behind Julio and Ridley on the depth chart. Yeah. Um, as for me, uh, you know, Julio, I felt like one of the things we're starting to see with him is he's having to take a little bit more uh, time off of the field. And I think we're going to need to have someone that can also challenge downfield. Dave, to your point, uh, if that's not going to be gauged, then you have to have someone that can stretch the field vertically. Um and Ridley can certainly do that, but I think the advantage to having Ridley and Jones is that you have two guys uh, that can challenge and enforce both safeties uh, to have to to be honest and in the deep part of the field. The thing to me that's interesting about Ridley is he was very, very close to getting to a thousand yard season if he didn't get injured. And that would have given us two thousand yard receivers. I can't remember the last time. I mean, uh, did Roddy and, and Julio both hit a thousand yards in the year. I, I'm not sure if they both did or not, but it's been a while since we've had two 1000 yard receivers, which I think is, you know, a, a good sign for, for 2020, as long as those guys can stay healthy. Um, Sanu, the trade I think worked in the Falcons favor. Um, and for gauge, you know, it, this is the thing I'll say, if he is wide receiver number three on the depth chart in 2020, it doesn't mean he's the third target because, you know, it, when you think of the Falcons offense, obviously Julio and Calvin are going to get the most looks. Um, but then after them, it's probably going to go to, you know, your tight end, assuming they keep Austin Hooper, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, and then even your running backs, you know, Devontae, Ito, Brian Hill, all capable receivers out of the backfield. Someone like Russell Gage is probably going to be, you know, fifth maybe on, on the you know, number of targets that he's going to get. So it'll be interesting to see if they do go with the receiver. The one thing Gage has, you know, certainly in his favor, he is he is absolutely outstanding on special teams, and that is what we drafted him for. Uh, I think the fact that he has already stepped up into sort of a wide receiver three role is is a good sign of his development. Uh, so I want to see what he does in twenty twenty. But I'm I'm with Gina. I'm really encouraged by what we saw this year. Uh, I thought Blake and Zacchaeus both had you know some some great moments. Uh, we'll see if they can build on that uh, going into 2020. Uh, but given the fact that those guys are going to be like wide, wide receiver five and six, uh, I don't think we need to see, you know, tremendous big games out of them. That's not what, you know, they're on this roster for. The fact that we can see them contribute here and there, 
you know, in their in this first year is I think a good sign of of progress. So, speaking of tight ends, um, we just mentioned it. Austin Hooper uh, obviously had a really really good season. He missed a few games again because of injury. Uh, got back towards the end of the year. I think he missed just three games. Yeah, he played thirteen games. He finished with seven hundred eighty-seven yards, uh, which for a tight end is that's like the type of production we used to get from Tony Gonzalez, uh, six touchdowns. Um, interesting name here that I wanted to throw into the conversation, Jaden Graham, uh, undrafted free agent that we had on the practice squad all last year. He made the roster this year, 149 yards and a touchdown. And something that was interesting, he actually had a really, really good pass blocking grade uh, as a tight end, he actually graded out as a better pass blocker than Luke Stocker did. Um, and Jaden ended up uh, as our 11th highest rated offensive player uh, for the season, which when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's that's actually really impressive for someone that, who was his first year starting uh, or playing in the NFL. Um, so, Dave, I'll go to your first, the tight ends. Um, number one with Hooper. Uh do you think the Falcons should and will retain him? Uh, and then your thoughts about his season and what the future looks like for this position. Yeah, I think the Falcons will make Cooper the priority of the offseason. I think he is the number one guy, if I had to say right now, um, you know, out of him, Devondre Campbell, and then guys like Claiborne and Tyler Davidson. He's he's the one they want to keep, and, and with good reason. You know, as you said, he just had a tremendous season, and if injury hadn't derailed it, it probably would have been an even better year. Um, I do think that, you know, his "I'd love to be here" comments, but suggests that he might be amenable to testing the market if he doesn't get the kind of deal he wants from the Falcons. I think it would be dangerous for them to let it get to that point. They've had a couple of close calls, um, particularly, you know, with Grady Jarrett um, in recent years with trying to get these negotiations done. Um, and if, if Cooper does make it all the way, um, you know, to free agency, I think he's going to get a ton of offers. There are a lot of tight end star teams out there um, who could use someone like him. He's still young. He's getting better every year. And so I think that would be a dangerous thing for them to do. So I think if they can get the money uh, squared away and they can find the right deal, that that will be the priority of the offseason. Am I a little worried that they're going to lose him? Yes, definitely. Um, if they do lose him, they pretty much have to draft a tight end, I think. Um, Stalker is a fine blocker, but not a guy you want to rely on as a receiver unless you have to. And Graham, you know, I think, looked really good whenever he had the opportunity to play. And he is one of the maybe two or three core special teamers that this team will try to build around going forward. Did excellent work um, on that particular unit. But is he ready to step into a role where he would have to be the top tight end and, and a, a top pass catching option in this offense? No, definitely not. Um, I think he's long-term more of a, a top complimentary guy if everything works out really well. So if the Falcons don't get Hooper re-signed, they're going to have a hole at tight end probably heading into the next year. And that's, that's a big, that's a big deal that I think a lot of people are overlooking because Hooper does a lot of things really well that this offense would miss a lot if he was gone. Yeah. 
Yep. Gina, your thoughts? You know, honestly, in this case, I really don't have anything to add to what Dave said. I mean, I agree with all of that. Um, I will really, really be disappointed if they don't find a way to keep Hooper. And I do have to think that, you know, they're going to make some moves to create enough cap space to keep him. When you have a tight end who's this productive, even with missing a decent amount of time, I don't think that you let that walk. Um, and so I'm going to be very interested, obviously, to see what they do. But I agree with Dave. If they do let Hooper walk, um, I think that they are going to have to draft a tight end and probably invest decent draft capital into one who could, you know, really be an impact player. A Hooper, I think, proved how much of a difference maker that can be for this offense. Yeah, I'll be extremely frustrated if they let Hooper walk. We we went several years after Tony Gonzalez retired, uh, you know, suffering through Levine Toilolo as the starting tight end. Uh, we know what bad tight end play looks like. Hooper is arguably one of the top five, top seven tight ends in the league right now. He has a great chemistry that has been worked on uh, every offseason with uh, Matt Ryan. They spend a lot of time together in the offseason, and that shows on the field. Matt Ryan trusts him. He's willing to throw to him. Uh, the and at this point you you've put that development in you got to mm-hmm. keep them and of all the positions you know tight end is not a premium paid position right now the average yearly salary for the top tight ends is about ten million per year uh, which is about you know it's one third of what you pay quarterbacks now who are getting about thirty million a year on the top end contracts so uh, you know by comparison. Keeping a tight end you've developed in the NFL is not nearly as expensive as some of the other positions like a pass rusher um, or a linebacker or uh, a defensive tackle or a corner uh, or a wide receiver. So uh, to me, the the replacement cost just doesn't make sense. Keep him, get him signed, get him here for the long term. Uh, Don't waste another three years trying to find another tight end for Matt Ryan to have to develop some chemistry with. You've got a great one. Keep him. So with that, final position group before we close out this discussion on the Falcons offense in 2019, that's the running backs. Uh, so let's go through some of the stats real quickly. <laughs> I know Dave's going to like the, the last one. They, we've got some show notes, so they know the statistics I'm going to rattle off. Uh, he's going to love uh, when we get to the fourth player on this list. Um, we'll start at the top with Devontae Freeman. Uh, he played in 14 games, 184 carries, 600 56 yards, which is about 3.6 per carry, two touchdowns. He did have 59 receptions, which I was sort of stunned by when I saw that. Uh, 410 yards, four touchdowns as a receiver, which means he actually broke 1,000 yards from scrimmage uh, in 2019. So I I was a little surprised uh, to see that that happened. Um, Edo Smith, before he went out with injury, uh, seven games, 22 carries for 106 yards, which was actually a very healthy 4.8 yards per attempt. Uh, One touchdown, 11 receptions, 87 yards. Brian Hill played in 12 games, 78 carries, 323 yards, a a respectable 4.1 yards per attempt. Two touchdowns. He also had 10 receptions for 69 yards and touchdown. And then uh, our our draft pick this year, Quadri Allison, eight games, 22 carries, 50 yards, but four touchdowns. He was, uh, he 
who was averaging a touchdown one every uh, one for almost every five carries. Uh, which Dave, I know you you had said something on Twitter to that effect, uh, and those stats are just they're they're kind of stupid. Uh, so I'll start with you first. What what did you think of the performance of the running backs? The Falcons, obviously, as a whole, had a very you know, statistically a very poor running game. Uh, and I think, you know, these numbers sort of reflect that. But what was your overall impression of this group of running backs? Are you optimistic? Do you feel like there are changes coming? How do you see this playing out? Yeah, I think simple math suggests that if you give Allison 200 carries next year, he's going to <laughs> score somewhere around 40 times. So first priority, I think, has to be getting the ball into the hands of Quadriolis. You there do you nothing go. else next year, you do that. And I think that that is sort of the that, that actually does transition into my first complaint, which is this team used a, a fifth round pick on Quadri Allison, if I'm remembering correctly. And yes. he barely got used. And that was really yeah. frustrating to me because to me that was Dirk Cutter getting a back that he liked and that he wanted in Atlanta. And the guy could barely find the field. And I think when he did run, you know, it, it wasn't always spectacular, but he showed that kind of like hard charging, just go for it, um, attitude and demeanor and, and, you know, forward progress that we're looking for, um, on a short yardage back and somebody to mix in. So I do think it was disappointing that he didn't get a longer look, but I do hope that changes next year. And I do hope that he's at worst the number three guy on the depth chart. Uh, because the depth chart, to me, is is pretty good. Talent-wise, we know what Freeman can do. I think we saw in the second half when the blocking improved a little bit, some of those vintage Devonta Freeman runs um, that, that he used to be able to pull off regularly. Um, yep. Certainly, Ito Smith, before he got hurt, poor guy with the two concussions, I thought looked terrific. I was really excited about him this year. I'm really excited about him long-term, and I think he's the logical candidate. <clears throat> Excuse me to get more carries if Freeman isn't back. And then even Brian Hill, you know, obviously not a huge amount of productive carries this year. Um, but I think, again, you saw some good things from him and you certainly saw enough over the summer to know what he's capable of doing. And I think everything to me kind of comes back to when you have four backs that at least look like decent parts of a rotation, that's not even including Barner. Um, and none of them really do that well, that to me speaks to a larger problem. We know that one of those problems yeah. is the blocking. We know that. Hopefully that's going to get better next year. But the number one thing to me that has to change and that was kind of damning about Dirk Cutter is that you know he was brought on in part with Dan Quinn's mandate to balance things out, get better at running the football. And the Falcons got worse, and they got worse at it because – Dirk Cutter is running in the most predictable spots that he possibly yeah. can. And, and over and over again, you know, I think I, I already said this probably, but, you know, Devonta Freeman on two thirds of his carries was running on first and 10. You knew that was usually going up the middle. Defenses aren't dumb. These guys are watching film. They know what tendencies there are. So again and again, he had nowhere to go. The blocking wasn't good enough and will not be good enough at any point in near future, let's be honest, for them to just bully teams, you know, by just running over them. They can't do that. So that has to change. It doesn't matter if you go out and use a second round pick, which I'm kind of afraid they're going to do on one of the top backs in the 
draft class, that guy's going to have nowhere to run until the tendencies to blocking change. So for me, this group is talented enough. You keep it together. You stick with them. You fix the other parts that are limiting the production here. And I think everything changes. I think all of these guys look good. Yeah. Gina, your your thoughts on these four backs, their 2019 season, and what this may look like in 2020? Well, I do have a few thoughts. One to the young man who wrote to me in the comments of my Instagram photo of my dog with concern about Devontae Freeman's lack of rushing touchdowns and the impact it was having on his grandparents. I just wanted to congratulate Devontae <laughs> Freeman's two rushing touchdowns this season. Maybe Devontae is reading the Instagram comments on photos of my dog. Um, and maybe, <laughs> maybe, buddy, you were the turnaround for him. So I just want to thank you for your input. Thanks for reaching out. Um, I'm surprised that these backs were able to get four yards collectively behind this line. They were just yeah. a hot disaster for so much of the season. I do think the fact that Devontae had, he's always been valuable as a receiver out of the backfield. I think the fact that he did have a thousand yards from scrimmage is actually really heartening, especially when when you consider the inconsistencies on offense this year and especially with the blocking. So I think that there's potential for Devontae to get back to form behind a more consistent line and with an with an offensive scheme that's maybe not quite so stupid and predictable. Um, Ito, I love. I'm excited to have him back. Uh, next year, he, I think, has flashed a lot of potential in his, in his early career. I agree with Dave again. Um, you know, Allison, I would say there were many times that I was super angry. I did not pick him up four times, to be exact, that I did not pick him up in DFS because those four touchdowns, like that kid's a vulture. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. Um, he's a guy that I'm going to keep an eye on for my DFS lineups next year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's, I think that it's a solid rotation of guys. And again, you know, if the Falcons can finally solve the offensive line issues and get some kind of decent blocking up front, I think that this unit could, I don't, they're not going to be dominant, but I think that they could be respectable. Um, and so that's really at this point, you know, after the past couple of seasons, that's really what I'm <laughs> Just for, that's fine. <laughs> lowered bar, lowered bar at this point. Yeah. Um, the, the only thing I'll add is uh, again, I'm, I'm looking at some of the, the PFF stats for the, the end of the season for the Falcons. Um, and honestly, the, the one thing I think is going to make this interesting is pass blocking. Uh, Devonte Freeman has always been a very reliable pass blocker. Um, Quadriolison actually graded out as our best pass blocking back. Now, granted, he did it on, you know, two total snaps to so take it with a huge grain of salt. Um, but either Smith and Brian Hill had terrible pass blocking grades. So if either of them wants to sort of take the mantle, they're going to have to improve that aspect of their game substantially between now and 2020. So that, you know, that could be a factor when we start thinking about um, whether or not the Falcons will keep Devonte in 2020, because certainly he has been identified as a potential cap casualty uh, to help provide some cap relief in, into the 2020 season. Um, and, you know, if they do decide to move on from him, you know, will it be Edo Smith? Will it be Brian Hill? Will it be Quadru? Will it be a combination of the three that, that will get those snaps? Uh, or will the Falcons draft somebody in the hopes of, uh, you know, finding a long-term replacement? So uh, those are questions we're going to have to answer as we go into 2020. I'm not sure that 
we know, uh, you know, we're going to get into the, 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 the free season, uh, preseason, uh, and it could be a, a battle that's not determined until that fourth preseason game gets done. So this is an interesting group. And Dave, I think your point about the offensive line and the scheme from Dirk Cutter being a, a huge hindrance is dead on. Hopefully one part of that gets fixed. Uh, and, you know, if we're lucky enough, maybe both of them get fixed and we see a much better unit next year. So any final thoughts? Uh, actually, let's do this. I want to get a letter grade from each of you on this Falcons offense, 2019 coaching staff through players. Uh, Gina, I'll start with you first. A through F, tell us what you think the offense did this year. Oh, gosh. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm going to say, you know, players C, just because. I mean, because they went seven and nine, you know, there were games where there were so many stupid mistakes. They played with a lack of discipline for a big chunk of the season. Yeah, it was a middling effort. So I give them a middling grade. Um, Dirk gets a D. D is for Dirk. Um, I'm still <laughs> delighted that they're keeping him. And I think that his scheme is stale and he lacks creativity and vision and i hope that he does not listen to this podcast um because i'm not trying to hurt his feelings but yeah <laughs> that's what i'm gonna give him for this year uh dave your letter grade for the falcons offense yeah i'd say a c um you know there were there were plenty of things that were good about this year there were some great individual plays and overall, the Falcons still ranked pretty well, but I think that the statistics kind of didn't do justice to, you know, how inept this offense looked at times, um, even against defenses that they really should have been better against. So I look at this as a, you know, it was a solid effort, but we know they're capable of so much better, certainly on the player side of things. Um, this is a good group of guys. I don't care. If I'm accused of overrating the talent here, it exists um, and it should be better. So I think that, you know, what they did this year is hopefully a foundation for what they're going to do next year. And they're going to blow this thing out of the water. It's not going to be 2016 again, but they can be so, so much better. And I look forward to giving them an A in 2020 when they win the Super Bowl. And Dan Quinn says, suck it, Falcoholic, on national television. <laughs> <laughs> God, I hope you're right. Um, I would love that so much in for oh, so same. many reasons. Same. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm gonna say the players get a C. Gina, I'm with you on that. Uh, I think they they made mistakes through the years uh that you know you can't put on the coaching staff. Um, but for Dirk, in my book, he gets an F. I think he underused the talent. Uh he has uh several guys who are literally future Hall of Famers, uh and he still managed to put up an offense that couldn't even crack the top 15 uh, in, in several metrics, uh, which is just disgusting uh, when you look at that as a whole. Uh, he has got to get better in 2020. If he doesn't progress as a coach, if he doesn't learn from the mistakes of this season, he will hold back this team in 2020 and he'll get Dan Quinn fired and himself along with it. Uh, and yeah. frankly, frankly, Quinn will deserve it for having brought this guy in, in, on and stayed with him. So I hope for his sake and uh, for Dan's sake that they both prove us wrong. I'm not optimistic about it, but uh, it, at this point, 
I have more faith in the defense turning around than the dirt cutter. Uh, so harsh words. I know we have more at thefalcoholic.com for you guys to go there and read. Uh, we've got a ton of off-season content coming your way, including a look back at the past decade. Now that we've turned into a new decade, we're looking at uh, some of the things that have happened over the past 10 years with this Falcons team. Uh, some good, some bad, and some horrifying. So uh, for uh, Gina, uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on? You can find me on Twitter at Gina Thomas, um, where I'm usually tweeting pictures of my dog. Uh, you can find me occasionally on The Falcoholic. And in a few weeks, you will find me on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. We're going to be doing a lot of fun stuff from there. I think that there will likely be stuff on The Falcoholic from that. So it should be a lot of fun. Look forward to that. Yep. Dave, remind our listeners where they can find you, what you've got going on. I'm at the Falcoholic on Twitter, where you can tell me that I'm being too negative or too positive, depending on your uh, side of the fence, and where I look forward to starting up our annual position reviews, um, starting with quarterback this Friday, um, which I guess is tomorrow, which is today when you'll be hearing this. So sorry, I had to sort that out <laughs> mentally. Um, but and then getting into really, you know, a look at what's ahead for this team for free agency for the draft because I think all we really want to talk about once we get through venting our spleen on team making the decisions they make at this point is how are they going to get better? So that'll be a, a core focus of yeah. the offseason coming up. Yep. Yeah. And we we have a great stable of writers who are going to bring us that content. Some fantastic analysis coming up. Uh so I'm looking forward to that. I know uh folks who read the site, listen to the podcast, you know uh we've got quite the staff that's going to bring you that off-season content over the next few months, keep you interested in this Falcons team, and hopefully get your spirits lifted back up for uh, what could be a crucial season for the Dan Quinn era, for the Matt Ryan era, which, you know, he's going to be 35 this year. Uh, and uh, we are probably three or four years away from seeing this man retire. So that's uh, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty jarring for those of us who remembered him starting back in 2008. Uh, holy cow, 12 years ago, Matt Ryan was drafted. So uh, for, for day of, oh, wait, as for me, <laughs> uh, guys, you can find me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. And of course, uh, here on the Falcoholic Podcast and at the site, thefalcoholic.com. So for Gina Madeline Thomas, Dave Frostbite Choate, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in and we'll talk with you next time. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 